Nothing but blue skies and tailwinds from now on. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 332 of the Juicebox podcast. Today, I'll be speaking with Pietro, the first type one in the country to hold a first class medical license given by the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration. Pietro can fly whatever plane he wants now. Type 1 diabetes be damned. This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by Dexcom and Omnipod. You can go to Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox or myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox to find out more about the sponsors. Omnipod will even send you a free no obligation demo right to your home. Please remember that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise, and always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. You're going to like this. Hi, everybody. My name is Pietro Marsala, and I am the first insulin-treated diabetic pilot to be certified for a FAA first-class medical. Pietro, that's the, that's the nice part. We'll get to that in a second. You and I know each other through Instagram. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, we've uh, we followed each other for quite some time, and uh, we've spoke a few times uh, via direct messenger. And Yeah, it's been nice. It absolutely has. And you shared a photo one time of you in a plane, like with your Dexcom graph, I think? Uh, yeah, uh-huh. that was you. I used to use that in, um, in live events, by the way. Oh, did you? Yeah, you let me know. Yeah. I'm right, I, yeah. I'm right on top of that, by the way. Uh, <laughs> made me look, um, interesting, you know, cause somebody who was listening to the podcast in a plane, my, my confusion <laughs> is then you were, you were, you know, it felt like you were flying the plane. Were you not flying the plane then? Yeah. So one of the pictures I think I sent you, uh, way back was, uh, just a picture. We were sitting at cruise on like 10,000 feet going to, uh, San Diego. And, um, you can kind of, uh, set your, your headset up depending on what kind of headset you have in aviation. Some of them have uh, the ability for, for Bluetooth. Mm-hmm. And, uh, when the air traffic control speak to us, um, it blocks out whatever you're listening to. If you're listening to something on your, on your Bluetooth, um, and immediately it, it turns the attention to what we're doing. And, uh, in that case, uh, we were just sitting in cruise. There's not much going on. And, uh, I had your podcast downloaded. So I was listening to it a little bit and, uh, there we went. And okay. so then I sent you that, uh, I sent you that picture, um, that I was listening to it at 10,000 feet and, um, it's not the same as listening to it at home. So I couldn't do it long. Uh, but it was, uh, it was pretty cool to, to pop that podcast open and listen to kind of how, um, how you've, uh, uh how you go about, uh, your podcast and, and how it's kind of, uh, changed my life in a way. Um, as well as many other aspects of like Dexcom and, and different things and how they've uh, they've kind of influenced me to be bold and uh, like you talk about. And so, uh, yeah, I sent you that picture. I thought it was pretty cool. I really appreciate it. I thought it was amazing, honestly. And so I was right. You had control of the plane. So you had a pilot's license then, but that's different now, right? There's So let's kind of go backwards a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Let me find out how old were you when you were diagnosed? Um, so I was diagnosed, let's see. Um, I was diagnosed back in January, 2012 with type two diabetes. How long did it take them to figure out you had type one? 
So it's kind of weird. So I went to, I uh, had all the classic symptoms, right? That we always talk about. I'm not going to bore you with those, but uh, most people that listen to this podcast know what those are. So I was diagnosed in 2012 in January, and it took me about 10 or 11 months until they uh, correctly diagnosed me with type one because I went to go see an endocrinologist after, you know, the oral medication wasn't stabilizing me. Mm-hmm. And so um, we, uh, we went to go see this endocrinologist and he looked at me and he said, you don't fit the bill of a type two patient. Um, have they run this test on you? I don't, I forgot what test it was. If it was a C-peptide, C-peptide. or what it was. But. Yeah. Yeah. And so they, they ran that test and then, uh, um, they confirmed it was type one diabetes at that point in, uh, November, I believe it was November, 2012. And in January, 2012, I was diagnosed with type two, November, 2012 I was diagnosed with type one. Okay. So basically around 2013, you knew you had type one diabetes and I've taken a pen and a pencil just now. And I've written down 2020 that under it, I wrote 2013. And then I did some subtraction and I figured out that was about seven years ago. Does that seem right? Yeah, that's about right. right. Yeah. How old were you then? I was what? 21 years old. I was 21. So I was diagnosed at 21. Okay. So were you a pilot then? Um, yeah. So it was interesting. So I, I had, I was in the middle of my flight training um, when, uh, when I was diagnosed, I was in January, 2012, I was working on my commercial certificate because my goal had always been to be an airline pilot. And, uh, in January, 2012 was diagnosed with it. Um, and so I went to go see a doctor, like I said, and he diagnosed me with type two diabetes and kind of long story short, it was obviously a really hard day for me. Um, but I was just excited as a 21 year old to know that, Hey, you know, it's not the worst thing in life. Uh, you know, if I've got to manage my blood sugar and I can stay fit uh, and I could just exercise and diet and, and keep me in a safe range, then I could return to, to the flight deck. And, uh, you know, I looked on the FA's website at the time and it said that if you're a type two diabetic and you don't require insulin, that you could still carry what's called a first class medical certificate. And for those of you out there that don't know what a first class medical certificate is, is, uh, it allows you to fly, uh, for an airline here in the United States. So as pilots, we carry both pilot certificates and medical certificates. Uh, and I was working on my pilot certificate to be qualified for the airline. Well, in the middle of that, I got diagnosed with the diabetes and that kind of threw a wrench in it. And didn't allow me to carry a first class anymore. Um, with type two diabetes, I worked hard. Uh, I got my first class medical back um, about six months after that because the FA requires you to stabilize on the medication. Um, and so I, uh, I worked hard at it. I dieted. I exercised. I got off the insulin. I maintained my blood sugar on metformin. Um, at the time, I was taking the oral medication, and the FA was fine with that. So they gave me my first class medical back. Well, only. Uh, to take it away again after about uh, three or four months after that point um, when I got diagnosed officially with type 1 diabetes. And obviously, as, as many of you know, that uh, it requires insulin on type 1. And so uh, that was probably harder than the original diagnosis of type 2 because at that point I'd done my homework and my research on what, uh, you know, what it, uh, what it takes uh, to carry a first-class medical. And I knew that insulin at the time was a disqualifying drug. And so that was, that was just the hardest, probably the hardest day of my life to this day. Um, I imagine. Yeah. Hey, can I ask you a question? In the time between the type two and type one diagnosis, where you're working so hard to get stable, you know, I guess for the lack of a better term, do you think you were so focused on that stability? They, is that why it took longer for you to find out you had type one? Like, what I'm interested in, what takes the time to figure out I really don't have type two diabetes? Yeah. So it was just weird because you know I I got on the insulin and my my A1C was in the tens at the time. Uh, when I first got diagnosed, obviously not knowing that I had it. And they told me I needed to be, I think it was like below 9%. Uh, 
to carry a, a third class medical to, to, to fly like for fun and, you know, to be a flight instructor and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And so I was just, I started working at that. I started working out like crazy. Um, you know, I was watching what I ate. I ate basically like zero carb, not zero carb. That's impossible, but very, very low carb, right. very, very low carb at the time I was, cause I was on metformin. I wanted to get off the insulin and I, and I was figuring out pretty quickly that, uh, the less insulin you take, the less risk you have for hypoglycemia. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started with this whole low carb thing. I was, you know, dieting, I was exercising a lot. And, uh, and so as I was doing that, um, you know, it, it's life was, I'm not going to say easy, but it got easier. I started, you know, pricking my finger, you know, 10 times a day, eight times a day, whatever I was doing. And it took me, uh, it took me about, you know, a good six months. It was, it was a good, uh, estimate for the FA to say, Hey, you need to stabilize for six months until I figured out, you know, kind of how the metformin works. And, um, you know, when, uh, you know, how the, how the low feels, how the high feels and kind of get the symptoms of what it feels like to be in each range. Um, I didn't have a CGM at the time, uh, when I was, t- when I was a type two patient or when I thought I was a type two patient. Right. Um, and so I was just managing with finger sticks and, uh, you know, it, it took me, yeah, it took me a good six months to, to stabilize. I was doing everything that I possibly could to, uh, maintain that blood sugar. And I felt confident in the ability to maintain it on metformin. Well, every morning I'd wake up and, um, as many type two patients do, I think before breakfast, the first thing they do is they test their blood sugar, they finger prick, right? And so I was seeing a rise in blood sugar. I would see like, you know, 95 and that would be great. Okay, cool. I'm below hundred. Sweet. And then I would see 110 and 120 and 130 as the days went on. And I'm like, what in the heck is going on? And I knew nothing about what a honeymoon phase meant. I, I was so uneducated about the whole thing when I was 21. Right, right. Um, and so, yeah. So then I, that's when my mom was like, I think we should go for a second opinion and see an endocrinologist and, and see what he tells you. And of course, at first I didn't want to do it because I was scared of, you know, what was to come if it was possibly type one. And uh, he, he comes, he looks at me and like I said, he, he told me I didn't fit the bill and ran a test and confirmed it was type one. It's interesting. You didn't fit the bill. Did he mean visually at first or through tests? Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. It, it's weird because you could, I mean, I know what you look like and you're a fit young guy and all, but you could have type two diabetes. It's not, un- yeah, it, it I, wouldn't be out of the I, question. Yeah, exactly. And so, and, and. He, uh, you know, he looked at me, he goes, you don't fit the bill. And I was like confused by that. I mean, like, I don't know what you mean. I mean, yeah, I, I played soccer my whole life and I consider myself a fairly fit person. And so, um, yeah, I was confused. I was like, how is this possible? You know, I didn't know that, you know, type two or the difference between type one and type two. And I just right. thought that people in general that had diabetes were unfortunately people that didn't take the best care of themselves. Well, obviously I didn't, I didn't know better. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so he diagnosed me with type one and I had to go on insulin immediately and I, I kept, before he ran the test, I kept telling him like it was going to change his mind or something. And he had some magic potion to, you know, when I took the lab, uh, lab test that he would, it would change his mind to tell, I kept telling him, you know, my endocrinologist and I'm still with the same endocrinologist today. He's a great guy. Um, but he kept, uh, I kept telling him, Hey, you know, I, I'm a pilot. I can't, you know, I can't be on insulin. They don't let me fly with insulin. And he's like, well, let's, let's get you healthy first before you worry about, you know, what's next. Let's, 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 let's take it one step at a time. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, he diagnosed me and just crushed my dreams. Everything I had dreamed of since I was a kid. Um, of becoming a pilot and well, I was a pilot already, but I was a private pilot and, uh, you know, becoming a commercial pilot and living this dream was just, everything just was just thrown just so it, hard thrown, for me to, yeah, a trash heap. Yeah. Oh, geez. Listen, I want to understand if you were, you know, at that time, if this type two thing didn't happen in 2012 and then type one in 2013, at what point do you think you would have been able to achieve becoming a commercial pilot? Like what year do you think that? that would have started for you as a, as a, you know, way to make money and, you know, a career? Yeah. Good, good question. So, um, so with type, 
like, like I said, so you're saying if I was, if I was, would have got diagnosed with type one, when I got diagnosed, and I never got type two. Right? No, no. I'm wondering if it never happened at all. Like at what, what pace oh. were you on? Okay. So yeah, so I would have, so I started in January, 2012, my commercial certificate, uh, training, and I would have been done with that probably by March, wow. uh, at the, at the latest, I finished it in two months when I went back to school, but it probably would have taken me initially two to three months, uh, to finish that off. But the thing is, is that just because you become a commercial pilot and you're certified, that doesn't mean that anybody's going to hire you because the regulations, the way they're written is that you have to build flight time. Okay. And so you have to have 1500 hours of flight time experience. So it would have taken me a few years to build that time. I see. Uh, and so I would have been diagnosed sooner rather than later. Eventually I would have got to the point where I needed insulin and I would have had to stop it uh, eventually. But in a world where diabetes didn't exist, you probably would have taken three years or so to build up your flight time. And then you kind of put yourself out there and start looking for jobs. And that, so there's a whole process in there. But but what I'm getting yeah. at is because that didn't happen, how did you shift your ideas about how you were going to you know, feed yourself? Like what 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 sure. happened to your goals? Yeah. And so so the way for most uh, I would, I'm going to say the majority of, of pilots that go through school, um, but a lot of times there's multiple ways you can build time to get to that 1500 hours. For me, it was, uh, I chose the flight instructor route and, um, I was able to be a flight instructor on insulin because it only required a third class medical. There's three different, uh, certifications of medicals. There's first, second, and third, okay. third being the lowest and first being the highest, uh, first for commercial pilots, uh, to exercise their privileges in an airline. And third, uh, to do small stuff like fly for fun and, uh, become a flight instructor. So in, in my eyes, I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to take the flight instructor route because it beats sitting in a cubicle. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'm going to become a flight instructor. I'm going to build my time. Cause that's originally what I had planned to do anyway, to get to my, my airline job. Right. Right. And so what I did was I built time as a flight instructor and I kind of just stuck into the industry. I built, uh, built experience and moved up in the company and I'm, I'm pretty fortunate. They take good care of me. And um, it's been a great company to work for. And so I'm really fortunate because they played a crucial part in this whole thing too. Um, and as I get uh, telling the story, it'll, yeah, it'll all make sense, but yeah. they played this part where I was able to to show proof that I'm stable in flight. Cause again, most people on insulin that have a certificate, a medical certificate from the FA, they don't fly for a living. Like I do a lot of them, you know, flight instructors, they typically don't make a, a huge amount of money. And so they, you know, most people don't choose this life in this career. If you get diagnosed in the middle of your training, a lot of people just say, okay, you know, I'll fly for fun and I'll kind of drop it on the professional side. But I continued because this is all I ever knew, you know, since I was a kid, I was flying flight simulators. And so I decided, you know, I'm just going to stick in in aviation. This is what I love to do. And at least I'm in an airplane. It's not commercial aviation like I want to do, but at least I'm flight instructing and teaching other people how to fly and live their dreams. Yeah. Hey, listen, in the time before, obviously before things have shifted recently and, and now you're able to have that that first class medical license. But prior to that, when you were doing the flight instruction, when you get into a plane with somebody who's looking for instruction, do you have to tell them you have type one prior? Did you have to look at them and go, Hey, listen, I use insulin. Here are the things that are around it. Or was that private? Uh, no, no. I mean, we had to test our, our blood sugar in flight too. And so most people ask like, what is that? Um, I was using a continuous glucose monitor as well at uh, a G6. And so it didn't require finger stick testing, but you know, I test uh, as well. And, um, they would see that. And I, obviously they would, they would ask a few questions. I would just tell them, yeah, I'm type one diabetic. This is kind of what I have to do to maintain myself in flight. And most people were kind of embarrassed to ask any further questions. I just kind of explained to them that this is kind of what I have to do. And they didn't really, most 
really dig too deep. What you uh, should no, have, I didn't have to disclose please that. keep looking forward. We're up in the air in a tin can and pay attention to what we're doing because I, you understand, <laughs> you've heard me with other pilots on here. I don't understand the concept of wanting to leave the ground uh, and being in control <laughs> of the thing. I, I get on yeah. a commercial airliner uh, under protest. I'm a good flyer. I don't, you know, I'm not on the plane constantly <laughs> thinking, well, this is the end of my life. But uh, yeah. I don't, you, <laughs> the other day I thought about getting a drone and I thought if I got a drone, I'd fly it up in the air and it would come right back down and crash into the ground. I have no spatial awareness. <laughs> like when things start changing, like the idea of a gimbal just fries yeah. my mind, you know? Uh, so yeah. I don't understand at all. If, if somebody started talking to me while I was teaching them how to fly, I'd be like, please look straight ahead. Please stop talking. I'll, yeah. I'll be fine. No, it's funny because we, we train, uh, the, the company I work for, we train uh, airline cadets, uh, so future airline pilots from all over the world. And a lot of these guys in the beginning, you have, and gals, in the beginning, you have to tell them, because uh, when, when we talk, our, our mics are linked up. And so we, we don't have to look at each other to speak. Obviously, we can hear each other on our headsets. Yeah. And so a lot of them out of respect because they're from different parts of the world and, and especially in the Asian culture, um, it's, it's, it's a thing where they want you, they like to look at you in the face, which is respectful, obviously, but not when you're flying an airplane. And a lot of times we have to tell these guys, Hey, you know, you, we can talk by looking straight ahead. When I ask you a question, don't look at me, keep flying. <laughs> oh, we all know someone we drive with who says something oh, exactly. and turns and you're like, yo brother, listen, please <laughs> just look over <laughs> exactly. there. Well, just, you just, can hear just me still. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, no. I, I hear that. Um, so you're, yeah. you know, obviously we're kind of talking around a little bit, but you work for um, one of the major companies I'm assuming. Yeah. And so I, I work for, um, a company out of, uh, out of Phoenix. It's a, it's a local flight school here. And, and for those that don't know the flight training world in Phoenix, Arizona, um, we do, um, among the most flight training in the country, us in California, Arizona has a lot of flight training here just because the weather is so permittable to fly. Yeah. I would say we have pro our flying days are probably over 300 days a year that we can fly. Um, so the weather is great here to do flight training. So people come from all over the world to, to oh, do flight training sense. here. And I work for one of the bigger companies here in Phoenix. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, you know, so there's a rule in place forever. You know, if you use insulin, if you're, if you're diabetic that uses insulin, you can't have this certification. There's other kinds of planes you can fly. You can fly for your own your personal fun, you know, but you can't, you can't take a people mover up in the air basically and move them around. Yeah. Right. And so it was, it wasn't, you know, what's interesting, Scott is, the FAA, the way the rules are written is it doesn't matter how many people you have behind you, as long as they're not paying you, um, oh. it was the, was the way the rule was written. It's interesting because I have a, you know, I have a commercial certificate. I have a private pilot certificate and I have these certificates that if I was rich enough to own a jet and fly across the country, I can do so even on insulin, as long as the people behind me aren't paying me. Um, and that's kind of the way the rule is written. And I brought that up to the FAA before. And, you know, that's obviously a head scratcher for them. And the guys that I spoke to weren't the ones that created that regulation. Mm -hmm. But that's what was interesting to me. It was, just, it was just funny that I could fly with people behind me that are not paying me. But the minute somebody's paying me for that flight, now it's held to a different safety standard. Okay. So I want to go over a couple of ideas about airplanes for a second. Because I'm, I don't know if you realize this or not, but today I just saw this on social media. And I don't know what they're calling it. So I can't find it very quickly maybe you'll know there's some uh fighter jets that are flying some path through the northeast today um in mm -hmm. support of you know medical professionals and, and everything that's going on with corona they're going to go by uh -huh. my house in about the next 25 minutes which is weird that you and i are on while that's happening now, so <laughs> yeah, these are fighter jets i have been on you know i, I get on a plane in newark and i want to fly let's say to um wisconsin I sit down, mm -hmm. I'm on a jet that has three seats on the left and three seats on the right, 30 or so rows. I don't know what kind of plane that is. Seems like a big plane to me. 
Sometimes mm-hmm. I fly out of Houston to come home, and all of a sudden, I'm in a plane that genuinely feels like a mall with wings. Right there's there you, you know what I'm saying there's there's two yeah. <laughs> two two seats on the le- on the right there's four in the middle there's two on the left you know you can't see the front of the plane from the back of the plane can you fly right. all of those planes like, Are you saying now that the rules have changed I'm saying you personally like you know can you bro down and get in those planes and make them go I'm going to do two ads in 2 minutes hang out see if I can do it The Omnipod tubeless insulin pump is the pump my daughter has been wearing since she was four years old. She'll turn 16 this summer. She's been wearing an Omnipod every day for that time, and it is spectacular. No tubing means no controller to carry around with you, clipped in your bra, under your belt, wherever you have to stuff that. Other tube pumps, you know what I mean. There's an infusion set, a long tube, and then something to carry with you, not the Omnipod. Omnipod is a small, self-contained device. You put it on, that's it. You control the insulin from a separate device that does not need to be attached to you. It is spectacular. This may be hard for you to believe. So what you should do is go to myomnipod.com forward slash juice box and get a free, no obligation demo of the Omnipod sent directly to you today. Do it right now. It's free. That means it doesn't cost you money and there's no obligation, which means you don't have to keep it, right? You'll get the demo and you can throw it in the trash and be done with it. Say, I don't care about this. Or you can keep going. It's up to you. Don't let me or anyone else make a decision that you could make on your own. The Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor is at the heart of how we make insulin decisions for my daughter. The trend arrows tell me the speed and direction that my daughter's blood sugar is moving. And with that information, we make decisions about food and insulin that keep my daughter in a tight range. And she stays there most of the time. There's no big secret. We just use the right amount of insulin at the right time. And you could too, if you had a Dexcom G6. Head to Dexcom.com forward slash juice box to get started today. You will not be sorry that you made that trip on your keyboard. All you gotta do. So our commercial certificate doesn't limit us to any specific type of airplane. So to answer your question specifically, as pilots, we need what are called uh, type ratings. And any plane that weighs over twelve thousand pounds, you need to um, you need to have what's called a, a type rating. And so what it is is you have a general certificate that allows you to be paid to fly. And then once you go work for the specific airline that you you choose to work for, um, they assign you an aircraft, and you go to school for two months. And in addition to all the schooling you've been through over the years, you go to specific school for that airplane for two months and they teach you exactly on how the ins and outs of that specific airplane and they, and they, and they type you, um, they give you a type certificate. So they basically, you're a specialist in that airplane, you're certified to fly that airplane as part of your, your ratings. Um, and so these, these simulators that they, they put us in at the airlines, they're multi, multi, multi-million dollar simulators. In fact, um, most people don't know this, but uh, the first time that if, you know, if you're an airline pilot and it's your first job flying for an airline, the first time you have passengers uh, behind you is the first time you're flying that plane. Um, you don't go up and just, you know, fly a plane around for fun uh, and, and have the company train you. In the old days, it was like that. But now with simulators being so accurate, uh, they don't require that anymore. You can actually, the first time you have, uh, the first time you fly that plane is the first time you actually have people behind you. All your training is done in a simulator because it's so realistic. Wow. That's um, so yeah, to answer your question, yes. That's so cool. Hey, so... <laughs> 
when if a person was in that simulation process, let's call him Bill, and Bill wants to be a pilot, and Bill keeps crashing the simulator. How many times does Bill get away with crashing the simulator before they tell him he'd probably make a better, um, you know, like I don't know, host or host on on the plane instead of the pilot? Yeah. Like, how does that? Like, how many um, how many strikes until you're out? Yeah, how many strikes until you're out? Good question. Um, well, they don't give you, I mean, it's not, it's not like one time, you know, the plane crashes, you're done. That's not how that works really. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you you know, obviously it's a, it's an overall picture of what you guys are doing and there's various phases of flight that they put you in. They run you through the simulator. I've never done this actually, because I'm not an airline pilot yet. And I just got my certification. Um, but from what I've heard from everybody that has gone that I've known uh, and people that have been there a while, uh, they put you through various phases of flight. Uh, they put you through the hardest of the hard. And so it's very, it's, it's very challenging. You know, there's, there's, there's a chance that people can wash out too, and they don't hold your hand to it. They hold you to it. Yeah. Um, and so they, they only take the best of the best and, um, as they should obviously. And, and so how many strikes until you're out, I'm not sure. Gotcha. Um, but I know that they, they do a lot of, uh, they're, they're pretty selective on, on, on who they allow to fly the general public around. Like I said, like they should. What's the, um, stress like? flying or even in a simulator does it affect your blood sugar do you need more insulin when you're flying uh in a simulator you're on the ground i mean it's just like an airplane right i treat it just like an airplane um not not so much i mean when i'm flying my blood sugars are probably the most stable a because i'm fasting and b because it's part of my scan Uh, i use a cgm i use a a g6 dexcom and so uh obviously as you know and as most of you know that listen to this that use a g6 it makes your life so much easier and so while I'm scanning the instruments and I'm flying myself or I'm instructing or whatever I'm doing, um, I use the Dexcom G6 as part of my scan. And, you know, it's just a quick glance at my CGM to see where my levels are at. And I just keep myself uh, really stable in flight. Oh, wow. So your your glucose monitor becomes part of your your checking of gauges. That's correct. Yeah. Oh, that's... So the, the scan that we have, yeah, we check every instrument. Uh, what we call a racetrack pattern is where we go around and we check in each, each individual instrument to make sure that... Uh, it's working correctly and, and that we're seeing what we should be seeing. And, uh, you know, a quick glance in my, my Dexcom every, I don't, I don't, I'm kind of OCD about it, but I check it every five to 10 minutes just to make sure it's still there, even though I'm stable and my basal set, right. And what part of the scan do you look for the text from potential dates? Is that, <laughs> uh, no, you know, it's while, funny right? because you don't really get service, uh, in a lot of areas where we're at. And so cell service isn't, uh, isn't part of, or, uh, dating isn't part of the scan. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to ask funny. you one unrelated question that I'm dying to know the answer to, and then I'm going to move on to things that are actually pertinent to what we're talking about. Yeah. No worries. All right. Why does my cell phone or yours or anyone else's work at s- certain elevations and not others? Why does why does your cell phone work at certain yeah. elevation, not yeah. others? Yeah, yeah we're, mo- so we're moving the satellite conversations now, which has nothing to do with flight. Okay. So, so I understand that the signal's <laughs> being beamed to the to the surface, right? And it, they're being pointed at land masses too, which is why you don't get cell service out to sea, for instance. But uh-huh. but how you know when you take off, everyone's been listen. I think everyone's had something going on Netflix when the plane goes up. And you're pretty oh, amazed that 25 minutes into the flight, you're still watching, right? So, yeah, and yeah. then all of a sudden it cuts off. Why does that happen? Well, those people should be downloading before they, they get airborne so 100%. that they don't have that issue of it cutting out. Hundred <laughs> um, percent. But, um, but anyway, it's uh, you know, it's interesting. Somebody somebody asked, somebody reached out on social media to me the other day and said, "Why can't we use our cell phones in flight?" And truthfully, I don't have the best answer for you because before it was a myth that it and it, and it could have been with the technology that they used before. Uh, with the radio signals that that we used to use in order to track what we call 
uh, airways. Uh, they're basically highways in the sky. We needed these specific uh, navigation sources to operate correctly, and the cell phones uh, could have distorted that signal. And so that's why the the crew recommended for you not to be, or not recommended, required you to not be on your cell phone. To this day, why they still do it, I'm not sure, because a lot of the stuff that we do is is GPS based and has nothing to do with uh, yeah. with those uh, with those cell signals. I think it's just the man trying to hold me down, Pietro. But that's okay. Yeah. Uh, all right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, do you know the genesis of? You know, I've had a couple people come on and talk about it, but I think it's interesting because of where we are now. You know, uh, John came on years ago to talk about wanting to get these first class medical license back for people with you know type one diabetes. Even back then, he was saying. You know, man, because there's there's glucose monitors now. It's a different world. You know, you're not just hoping your blood sugar doesn't fall. There's different ways to manage. Um, but what's the genesis of how this happened? Like, why is it okay now with the FAA? How were you able to get this license? Like, what's the behind the scenes about how we got to it? Yeah, definitely. Um, so CGM has become uh, a huge part of this game. Uh, and to give you kind of a quick backstory, I was able to go to the FAA. I was fortunate enough. I was just touring DC with a girlfriend at the time and I was walking around DC in shorts and a t-shirt and I'm like, Hey, hey I got to stop you for uh, a second. Did you say you can't get texts so that you can ignore your girlfriend while you're flying? Is that what's going on here? Is this a, an elaborate, <laughs> um, right, right. Bruise? Is what, right. I understand phones don't work in planes. Sorry. All right. You were in DC. <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. So I'm in DC and I'm touring around with an ex-girlfriend at the time. And, uh, you know, we come across, we're looking at the museums and one on the monuments and we come across the FAA's building. It's the Department of Transportation. I'm not sure if you've been there or not, but not that you would have any reason to be, but, um, how do you know? Came, like, we, I'm just kidding. I've never <laughs> been there. <Go> ahead. <laughs> we, we came across, uh, the building and, and I'm in shorts and a t-shirt just kind of in the summer, just torn around and I'm, I've been outside all day. And she goes, Hey, why don't you go inside and, uh, you know, speak to the FAA. And this is back in 2016 in the summer of 2016. And she goes, why don't you go inside and speak to the FAA? I was like, are you kidding? Look how I'm dressed. I mean, I mean, I'm not, I'm not presentable. I don't even know what I want to say yet. I have what an idea, but mm -hmm. she goes, well, just go in there and give it a shot. And I'm just like, all right, fine. So I, you know, I walk in and, uh, there's this, uh, there's a security, like, it looks like a TSA kind of checkpoint. And there's this huge building. I walk in, there's all these people looking at me like, what is this dude doing here? You don't look like you're, you're supposed to be here. And so I asked the security guard, I said, hi, is, uh, is, is, uh, is Dr. Uh, Duvall here? He's the deputy air surgeon for the, um, for the FAA. And he's like, who? And I'm like, he's the deputy air. So I thought by me giving him that title, he would know immediately who I'm talking about. He goes, this is a big building, man. He's like, there's a lot of people here. He goes, but anyway, if you want to go upstairs, you need an appointment. I'm like, okay, see ya. So I just walked out and, uh, I walked out of there and my, my girlfriend at the time was like, you know, what did he say? And I said, well, we need an appointment to go upstairs. And so he's not going to allow us in. She goes, okay. All right. So I was like, you know what? I have his email. So I'm going to shoot him an email and see if he responds. I doubt it, but I'll, I'll give him a shot. I'll give it a shot anyway. Mm -hmm. So I did, I shot him an email. Um, and I'm at dinner that night in DC and my phone goes off and it's, it's, it's him. It's Dr. Duvall. I couldn't believe it. I was shocked. That was the first time I've ever reached out to him. And I told him basically, Hey, I'm here from Phoenix and you know, I'd love to, uh, chat with you and share my story. If you have the time, I it would be awesome to meet you. And he responded with great. I would love to meet you. How about tomorrow at 12? And I'm like, Holy cow done. And so I, uh, I put some things together and tried to look presentable and I went up there uh, and we had a meeting and first we sat down. He was like, Hey, you know, I don't have a lot of time for you. Uh, I've got, and so I sat down next thing, you know, we're there for an hour and a half. Um, and so he loved my story. I was kind of in a unique position as a flight instructor to kind of share my data with him every day and, uh, show him that, Hey, I use a continuous glucose monitor and they knew very, and I think the FAA didn't know it nearly as much as they did today about CGMs. 
um, because it was more the old school finger stick uh, is what they knew of. Yeah. And, uh, and so he said, you know, um, you know, we're, we're close, but we're not quite there is what he told me as far as getting a first class medical to fly for an airline. Um, and he goes, this is uh, interesting. You have a very interesting story and I appreciate you coming up here and speaking with me. Um, he goes, let's keep in touch. And I have his direct and I had his direct line. And so over the years I would call him every month and a half, two months or, you know, you know, being pleasantly aggressive as I like to say. Um, and so I'd check in with him and, and uh, every now and then, and, you know, we would, he would kind of update me of uh, what's going on and the latest. And I would kind of fill him in with the latest that I've gotten. I would just start sending him things randomly. Um, and when I say things, I mean, like, I would send him uh, CGM data, um, not that it was required, but I just wanted to show him and yeah. prove to him that he that this is possible. If you maintain your blood sugar, if you can uh, be stable uh, in flight as a flight instructor, what is the difference between being stable in flight as a flight instructor and, and flying for an airline three, four times a day? If I can manage it in flight and I'm not having highs and I'm not having lows, you know, why isn't this you know a possibility? And so he understood and he agreed with me and he said, again, we're closer than we've ever been and this technology is definitely a game changer. Um, and so it does help us get a good picture because as you know, Scott, you, you prick your finger. Uh, if you're only using finger sticks, you're only getting that picture. Like you've talked about millions of times on your podcast, you're only getting the, the picture of where you're at. It doesn't even tell you where you're going, but it tells you where you're at at that specific time of day. Um, and you have no idea what's going on, going on for the rest of the day. And that's where a CGM comes in and fills in those gaps and, uh, allows you to have a full picture of exactly what's going on. And of course the FAA love that idea. And so I kind of just left it at that. We kept in touch. And then I find, and I, and I went a step further and I got back to Phoenix and I started flying instructing. And then, um, I, 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 myself, along with the American diabetes association that I was in contact with, that I am still in contact with, I decided I'm going to make a, a Microsoft Excel spreadsheet. And with this spreadsheet I included in there, it was basically a spreadsheet showing where my blood sugar was prior to takeoff, where it was an hour into flight, where it was two hours into flight and what it was prior to landing. And then in the notes section of this Excel spreadsheet, I was able, obviously using the CGM data, I was able to see, I would go back and check exactly what times you know these were and what my blood sugar was at those times. And in the notes section, I would put in if I gave myself any insulin to maintain my, my, my glucose levels and also if I, or, uh, if I gave myself any snacks uh, to maintain my blood sugar in flight. Um, and so they had a very, very, very detailed picture of what was going on in my day. Because as you know, a CGM just tells you what's going on 24 seven. It doesn't tell you exactly what's going on, uh, for me in flight at those specific times. So I showed them, I went a step further and backed it up, not only with the CGM data, but with a Microsoft Excel spreadsheet to yeah. show here's me in flight. And I would do three, four flights a day. And I'd log that three, four flights a day, an hour in a flight, two hours in a flight before landing, uh, prior to takeoff, all of that stuff. And so he would see exactly that I am safe and I, uh, I am maintaining my blood glucose levels in flight. No, just that it's that it's possible was probably a big deal for him because you know they set a rule like that God knows how long ago, and then it yeah, just gets in people, and it gets in people's heads like oh people would you know people who use insulin can't fly a, a commercial plane boom that's it it's a rule so it, it it must be there must be a really great reason why this exists and then somebody yeah. like you comes along and says well you know what things have changed and let me show you how this could work hey I have a real quick question do you still talk to Doctor Duvall? Absolutely yeah and and in fact. Um when I conclude the story, I'll kind of tell you how it kind of all came together. But up to this day, we still keep in touch. And he, he and I, I don't want to say become friends, but we've definitely, um, he, you know, he answers every one of my calls. If he doesn't answer, he'll call me right back. I have his direct line to his desk. And mind you, this is the deputy air surgeon for the FAA. This is, this guy's top dog. Yeah. Um, and so we've established a, a, a good, uh, working relationship over these last couple of years. And I've, and I've told him, you know, you can be my guinea pig. If you, I'll fly you out to Arizona on my own dime to show you, that I can maintain my blood, uh, my, my sugar levels in flight. 
And, uh, and he was like, oh, no, no need to do that. And he goes, you're done enough. You've done so much by sending us the data. And we appreciate your generosity. And I've gone, and again, this was all at my own risk. There were pilots out there um, in the past that didn't want to share this data with the FAA, even if they had it, because they were afraid of the FAA denying them. And my, my, uh, to me, it was like, well, I have nothing to hide. Yeah. I'm not perfect, but I know I'm controlled. Um, and, and, and to give you an idea, I, and obviously an A1C doesn't tell the full picture, but my A1Cs are six, 6.2. I hang around that range uh, consistently. And my, you know, my Dexcom backs everything else up to show that I'm at a low risk for hypoglycemia. And, you know, I, I consider myself, a, a, I, I, I do a pretty good job. Like I said, I'm not perfect, but I, I do a fairly good job at managing my diabetes. And they see that and they, they, they appreciate that. And so, again, I sent in all this data. Uh, to back up what I was saying, because anybody could say they're controlled, anybody could say they're stable, but it's another thing to prove it with the CGM and on top of that, a Microsoft Excel spreadsheet. So yeah, yeah we've kept in touch over the years and they kind of use me and my data. And it's interesting. They, I found out later, uh, a couple of weeks ago, somebody from the American Diabetes Association called me and said they spoke to Dr. Duvall and I kind of unofficially knew this, but I then found out uh, that he said that it was your data that convinced the federal air surgeon and the deputy air surgeon that this is something that is obtainable. That's um, that this is safe and it can be done safely. And granted, not every uh, applicant that applies for this that has uh, uh, diabetes on insulin is going to qualify. They're very selective. It's a very, um, are they, very detailed process. I was going to say, are they asking other people for CGM data? Does everyone get asked yes. for it now? So before all this happened, they changed the rule back in uh, November 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, November 7, 2019, the FA changed their stance on uh on first class first class uh, medicals with insulin treated diabetes uh and that, regardless if that's type 2 or type 1 if you were if you needed insulin they treated it the same and so now they require a CGM before CGM was never required to obtain a third class medical but now since the rules have changed they now make it um they now make it to where you need a CGM and there's certain CGMs that qualify and so um yeah so now it, it, the rules have changed and and since they've changed these rules, now they're looking at each individual case, and there's only been a few of us certified now. Um, but they use that CGM data um, to basically paint the picture if somebody is safe or not, and they assess your level of risk. and And they're doctors up there at, at Aerospace Medicine, but they're not diabetes specialists, so to speak. And so they brought in a team of experts, like endocrinologists, some of the leading endocrinologists in the country, um, some consultants, and some people to help them make these decisions to assess people's level of risk. So yeah. it is a hard process to go through, and and. And, you know, only the safest are going to qualify and, and as, as they should if they're flying the general public around. Um, and so they're very, they're, you know, they're, they're picky on who they're selecting. And, uh, you know, is there a, you know, people have asked me in these last couple of days, like, what did you do? What exactly do I need to do? And it's each individual case is different. They send you to a cardiologist. They send you to an endocrinologist. They send you um, or you have to go yourself. And yeah, that's of course. paperwork, obviously. Um, but, yeah, that's, it's a pretty detailed test that you have to go through. That's an astonishing story. And do you know what I took of it most is that you have a longer relationship with Dr. Duvall than you did with that girlfriend who was with you in Washington. <laughs> That's really what I took from this, in case you're wondering. That, uh, that, that is true. <laughs> I yeah, mean, we've kept in touch. He's a good guy. He really is. Well, he, he doesn't he, nag he, you, right? So um, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He's still in the picture. And he you, will always be. <laughs> you call every six weeks. He's not like, why don't you call more? I have a question yeah, about your, your blood sugar targets. Um, uh-huh. Are they the same when you are flying as when you're not flying? Or do you have different ideas for range in different situations? Um, okay, so good question. Um, when you tell me it's a good question, it makes me feel better. I don't know what that says about my psyche, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so 
it, no, it is because uh, I keep myself, you know, if I'm in the eighties and I'm hovering in the eighties or the low nineties when I'm at home, I'm good with that. Mm-hmm. Um, because I know that if my basil set, right. And as you've talked about with Jenny and, and, and multiple people on this podcast, that if your basil set, right, you can hover in those areas and you don't need to treat it. You can go a couple hours without even eating anything and hang in the eighties and nineties and you'll float right there if your basil set, right. Right. And then mind you, I'm, I'm on MDI still. Um, I, I'm not on a pump, but wow. I am on a G6. Um, and so I, I kind of just hang out and, 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 uh, you know, if I'm at home, yeah, do I treat it a little bit differently? Sure. I'll hang out in the eighties. I'm fine with that. If I'm at 82, 83, I can, I can be comfortable with that as long as it's staying in that range. Mm-hmm. But if I'm flying 80 is that much closer to 60, 60 is that much closer to 50, 50 is that much closer to 40. And so I don't take these risks. Um, I don't, I don't do that. And so what I do is I keep myself slightly more elevated in flight. Um, I like to keep myself in the low one hundreds as my target between, I would say between 100 and and 140, 130 is a good range yeah. uh, for me to be in. And that's kind of the target range I have while I fly because I know I'm nowhere near hypoglycemia. And granted, if I was in the 80s in flight, I know that I'm not going to pass out either. You and I both know that, you know, at an 85, 90 of a, of a blood sugar on your CGM, you're doing just fine. But again, it's just that much closer to the range of hypoglycemia. And so I, out of respect uh, for, you know, everybody else and, and whatnot, I, I keep myself slightly more elevated. Do you only fly planes where there's a co-pilot? What what's the standard for that? No, it's interesting, Scott. Right now, I'm a flight instructor, and I fly with people that don't know how to fly. Yeah. Um. And so I will be flying. Uh. Eventually, once uh you know COVID passes and the airlines pick up hiring again, it's kind of an ironic time. But eventually, yeah, my goal is to get to an airline, and um, I will be flying with somebody who uh, knows how to fly. Um. Thankfully, and it's just going to be a different world. And so it's going to be, in my opinion, and many people's, uh, many people, many people's opinion, it's going to be much easier once I go to an airline, because now I don't have to worry about so much of the other guy not knowing how to fly. Now I've got my blood sugar and I've got my own job right. instead of my blood sugar, my own job, and now his job I was just, or her job. I was just thinking you spent eight years uh, getting to a to a place and you got there and now no airplanes are flying anywhere. <laughs> and and yeah. there's, it's, it's probably, is it a little bit of a bummer that, I mean, not that, you know, not to specifically target coronavirus in your life, but I mean, did it feel like that a little bit? Like, wow, I got here and then all of a sudden this happened? It is such an ironic time. Yeah. Uh, it's It's been a wild ride, but you know what? When you're working at something for eight years and you just cleared the biggest obstacle of your life and you recognize that, you know, you just did this, it's only a matter of time. I'm 29 years old and I've got 35 plus years of, an, of a career ahead of me. Right. And so I know that eventually this will pass. I'm optimistic that this will go away one day. And whether that takes a year, two years, three years for the airlines to return to where we were, uh, we will get there. And I'm confident that the general public will be flying around again. And there will be a need because there was a shortage for pilots uh, only about a month ago. And now it went from you know, this huge need for pilots to nobody needs pilots right now, obviously with what's going on, nobody traveling. Well, you have, and so you have unique perspective and patience obviously around this because you could have given up on it at any time and just thought it's not going to happen. Um, it's pretty, listen, I I'm interested. Like you said, when you got on, you're the first person to get this distinction. Is that, is that true? Or you're like, how do you know? Yeah. Yeah. Does like your fishers have a number one on it or something or? (laughs) <laughs> well, it has first class, uh, but that doesn't mean I'm the first. Uh, I'll tell you how I know I'm the first. And this was a special conversation I had with Dr. Duvall. Um, he, I was driving uh, with my current girlfriend and my smartwatch goes off. Does she know you and, like Dr. Duvall better than her or has she not figured that out yet? 
Oh yeah, she knows. She oh, okay. knows. She knows. I've known him for four years now. She's okay with it. She shares the love. Yeah, just real quick, Petra. We're on a so, boat. It's sinking. It only holds two people. You, Doctor Duvall, and your current girlfriend are on it. What happens? And we need you to fly oh, the plane home. So I'm just saying. Oh God, I'm not answering this. Eventually, she's going to listen to this. Oh boy. So, uh, so yeah. So I'm driving, and you know, Doctor Duvall told me weeks ago we were close, and obviously this protocol came out in November, and I've kind of been pleasantly aggressive, just checking in with them here and there. Um, and, uh, just kind of asking them what's going on. What's the latest, uh, when are we getting, you know, certifications? And I was thinking by Christmas, cause it came out in November. I was like, Oh, this will be an awesome Christmas present. Um, you know, I'll go to an airline come January 1st and that'll be awesome. I'll be able to live my dream and this is going to be great. Yeah. Well, it took a little bit longer, obviously. And, and as things do in government, as we know, they take a little bit of time. Uh, and so I was patient and I kind of just checked in with him and he kind of hinted to me here and there that, you know, we have looked at your paperwork. We have looked at your data and it's checking out in favor. Everything is looking good. And about three or four, or about about a month ago now, I I, I called him up and I said, Doctor Ball, what's uh, you know, what's going on? What's the latest? Do you have any updates for me? And he said, I can confirm that you're, you know, you you uh, you are in Doctor Barry's inbox, ready to send out and whatnot, and it's uh, it's getting close. And so, uh, so I was like, okay, great, you know. But again, it's it's government talk, right? These things take a little bit of time. Uh, and so I wasn't, I didn't want to get my hopes too high. But then eventually, he said, um. Uh, he calls or he, he sent me that email and he told me it was going to come in an email format and it did. And so my, my smartwatch went off and I'm like, I was like, holy cow. And I was freaking out. My girlfriend's like, Hey, you know, pull over because you're, you're too excited to drive right now. Like just pull over. And so I did, I, I pulled over to a safe spot before I opened the email and I wasn't even sure what it said yet, but I, it was like this, this secret, not a secret email, but it was a, a security email. And so I put in let's, the password, I opened it up, and I scrolled to the bottom, to call I saw it my name on it. Let's continue to call it a secret email, if we could, because I think it makes it more exciting. You got a secret email from the government that said <laughs> that you're a pilot now. Um, yeah. But, but no. yeah. So so it's one of those you have to put in a code to get to it and all that. Yeah, exactly. You put yeah, in a password, okay. and then right, so I, I scrolled you. to the bottom of this email, and it, I just saw my name was on it. It said first class medical, and I start, obviously, I was just crying emotionally. It was just a really... Uh, it was a really important time in my life, probably the biggest biggest day of my life to this day. Mm-hmm. There's something that you work so hard at um, finally come to reality and, and just knowing that your boyhood dream of doing what you wanted to do your whole life and people telling you that, you, you know, maybe this career choice wasn't for you. Maybe this isn't for you. When I was first diagnosed, maybe, you know, there's different, God has a different place for you in life. And that was a really hard pill to swallow. Um, and so, like I said, I decided to do something about it. I went to the FAA and I'm glad that they took me seriously. And yeah. so I called the, the doctor, not even a minute later, I'm on the phone with the doctor in DC and I call him up and I said, you know, obviously it was, I was still emotional. I didn't even, I wasn't even done crying yet. And that uh, was my question, by the way, I was going to jump in right there and say, did you pull yourself together before you called? No, or? Okay. no. And looking back, I probably should have. I'm but, thinking uh, probably. Yeah. yeah, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I call him up and I was like, Hey, uh, you know, and he obviously knew cause he just sent the email. It was coming from him. And, uh, I said, Dr. Ball, I just want you to know that you've forever changed my life. And, uh, you know, this is the biggest day of my life and I I can't thank you enough. I'm forever grateful for everything that you did. And thank you for believing in me, um, all along, uh, and and trusting me and and allowing me to share my, my data with you and my story with you. And he said, he said, Pietro, he goes, uh, I want you to know that you were the first one I sent out. Um, so you're officially the first, the first, uh, Uh some treated diabetic, uh, diabetic pilot to be certified for an FA first class medical. Of course, that made me feel great. Not that I was racing to be the first, but I just wanted this change. And I'll get to what I'm getting at in a second. But yeah. um, he knew how much that meant to me because of our conversations over the years. Sure. But then he shared with me, he said, you know, if I didn't shed a tear uh, when I sent out that medical, he goes, I'd be lying to you. And so this, that was just, it just told me a lot My about God, who you guys is. are dating. 
<laughs> yeah, it was a little bit of a bromance there. I'm not going to lie. That was, I'm going to get cool him on the moment. podcast and see if he cares about you as much as you care. <laughs> hey, he changed my life. I didn't change his. Right, so. well, I don't know about that. It sounds, like, it sounds like the the process of taking somebody like you, and, and I'm, I'm thinking the countless other people like you who have type 1 diabetes or using insulin want to fly this kind of a, an aircraft and can't. I would think he'd feel some sort of um, a real emotional charge behind changing people's lives. It's uh, I yeah, think it's undeniable, honestly. Definitely. Yeah. And Scott, I, I told him from the beginning when I first met him in 2016, I said, look, that would be awesome if I get certified, if I become certified. But I said, I don't want this just for me. I want this to be a change in a protocol, a change in a regulation. I want it to be, instead of a blanket no for people that have diabetes, I would like to see uh, more people like myself that are qualified, that are controlled to be certified. And I said, I, I can't imagine being a kid at 10 years old, having this dream and then being crushed minutes later when you're told, not only are you living with a chronic illness and it's hard enough, especially for these kids that can't go to birthday parties and eat cake and ice cream like everybody else. Um, but you know, to be told that, Hey, uh, um, I'm sorry, you're, you're, you know, you have diabetes and this is one of the things you can't do. And so that really, uh, you know, meant a lot to me for, for this to become a change in regulation. And so I shared with him how I want this to be something that, you know, is an obtainable goal. And I think that kids, you know, when they're 10 years old, these parents, you know, could almost bribe these kids and tell them, you know, and use it as an, as an incentive to, hey, take care of your health. And this is definitely an obtainable goal. Look, these people did it. These people changed the rules for you guys. And so growing up, you know, I think that's a crucial time in their life when they're, you know, 10, 11 years old to learn that, your dream is not crushed. In fact, you can dream big because this is definitely an obtainable goal. Look at these people have done it. Take care of yourself. Take good care of your health. And when it time, comes time to go to flight school, if you have good blood sugars and if you maintain yourself in a good range and you use this CGM and to prove your data that this is something that can be done. Hmm. And so I, I was so thankful for that and to know that it's not just me, it's other people as well. Uh, to me, it means an incredible amount. Well, sure. It's that moment, right? When you realized I have type one, I don't have type two, you're begging the doctor like, are you sure? Like, let's not do this. This is, yeah. you, you said that's probably the worst moment of your life hearing that you couldn't fly these planes. And I mean, listen, sure. it's, it's already an uncommon thing for someone to feel so strongly about something they want to do for the rest of their life. Uh, to take that thing from someone is specific, especially because they're, you know, not a million people running around who want to fly airplanes around. It's uh, it takes a special yeah. person. I know you don't know that about yourself in, some small way being a pilot is a lot like being like a professional athlete in that you just do this thing that feels normal and you don't realize that most of the rest of us, you know, can't throw a 103 mile an hour fastball. Like, like it's just like, if, <laughs> honestly, if you, if yeah, you well, put me in a plane and said, you can do this, Scott, I'd be like, no, I can't. And then I would get out of the plane and, and I'd yell at you because I'd want you to. Get yeah. Out of I mean, it does take somebody, you got to want it. It's, you know, I see this all the time in flight training and there's people that, you know, become pilots for various reasons, but you know, most people that do this, they love what they do. And this is something just like you said, professional athletes and, and whatnot. This is something that we dream of, you know, as kids. Uh, most of the time, it's something that you just have in you, and it's something that you just desperately want, and and it just shows that you know there's yeah. pets are a certain type of people. You know they, they're very. Let's just I'm just gonna put it out there. A lot of them are narcissistic, um, and they they like the attention and they like the. But overall, they they are people who um, have a, a lot of pride in, and they take very seriously what they do. And so it's, it's just one of those things that right. you know, as a kid, if you're that kid that has that and in you, and you want to fly. It's, you have diabetes, just, that, that shouldn't be something yeah, holding you back. Take it from, listen, I, it cost me $300 a year to have a company come to my house three times a year and clean the leaves out of my gutters because I'm not climbing up on a ladder. 
I do not want uh-huh. that as my that, that's not how I'm going out. Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I'm yeah, not, yeah, yeah, no, I'm, totally. I'm not I'm not going to open my eyes back up, have St. Peter standing in front of me, which is oddly not something <laughs> I even believe in, and then have to tell him that I was trying to clean my gutters out and now I'm dead. I can't. Right, right. I can't do that. I don't like leaving the ground. It's it's a bad thing. For me. <laughs> you uh, know, you're not going to believe this if I tell you this. Uh, I have a fear of heights. Get the hell out of here. Why would you say that to me? I don't like being on balconies. I don't like being on ladders. I don't like being on the roof. I just get weird when I'm on an edge. However, in an airplane, I've never had this fear. I don't, I don't feel like I'm not secured. Um, it's just a completely different feeling being in an airplane. I feel like I have control. I feel like, you know, the wings are not going to fall off this thing. And so we're flying, but being on a balcony, being on an, being on an edge of a building, I just, I get kind of uneasy. I don't like being, and it's, it's funny because a lot of pilots will tell you that too. Um, they don't like, they don't like being up high where they don't feel like they have control. Well, listen, you're younger, so you probably don't know about these, um, these old, uh, documents that you could, you could watch. They were, the colors were a little strange, but anyway, it was about this, um, uh, a rabbit and he could talk and sometimes he would get on a plane and then a gremlin would come and like bang with a hammer and knock the wing off the plane. So you're saying they can't (laughs) fall off, but I've seen documentaries about it. And I'm fairly certain it can happen. So maybe in those days. Well, I'm just telling you, <laughs> 60s. And the the rabbit cursed. It was amazing. You guys, cartoons oh, nice. suck now. <laughs> I mean, yeah, nothing really. that would come out now, would it? <laughs> no, I don't believe so. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> they used to smoke cigars and everything. It was fantastic, honestly. Uh, yeah, nevertheless, world. Bugs Bunny aside, um, I I think this is really one of the more interesting conversations that I've had. And it wasn't so much of a conversation. I kind of loved it because you have been so immersed in this over the years. You, you didn't need me here. Like I could have, I could have gotten on and said, Hey, real quick, tell me about that whole thing with the flying. I'm going to go make a sandwich. And I think I would have come back and you'd still be telling your story, which I I mean, is a, <laughs> it's amazing because, but, it, but it's a testament to how much you were involved in it to make it happen is what I'm saying. Um, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was quite, it was quite a road and I'm, I'm so thankful to have got to the end of the, uh, you know, in this road and it was, it was hard. I'm not going to sit here and tell you it was, it was easy in blue skies and tailwinds the whole way right. because it was, uh, it was a challenging road. You know, there were times where I was like, this is never going to happen. And there were so many people in my life, my family's close to me and there's so many people that picked me up and uh, made me believe and truly to never give up on this dream and, and that I could be. And I knew I was healthy and it was only a matter of time. Um, but there were times where, you know, I would sit up at night and think to myself, like, why, why me with diabetes? Number one, like, like a lot of people do, I'm sure. And why out of, it's interesting because I'm the only person in my family and I have a big family. My family is Italian and the majority of them still live in Italy. And out of all my cousins, out of all my uh, aunts, uncles, nobody has diabetes except me. Mm. And I was just like, how is this possible with every, not that I would wish this upon anybody. uh, Don't get me wrong, but it's interesting how nobody in my family has diabetes, but yet the only person that can't have it or at the time couldn't have it for his career was me. And this is the career choice that I took. And I'm the one with diabetes. It's just so weird to me. It was just hard to, to a hard pill to swallow. Do you want me to tell you how I knew you were Italian? How's that? All right. <laughs> on, your, on your pilot's license that you were really cool put up on your Instagram, which by the way, if people want to see it, where, what's your Instagram handle? Yeah, it's uh, it's Marsala, like my last name. It's M A R S A L A nine zero. Okay, is my Instagram handle. Cool. So yeah, everybody check, should check it out. out. It's very cool. Uh, but it's because you're five eight on the license, and every Italian guy. <laughs> That's hilarious. Every Italian guy I know grew like they were like five eight when they were nine years old, and then never got any yeah. taller. Is this what happened since, to you? Yeah, exactly. Tallest kid in sixth grade, yeah, and then 100%. never grew since. Yeah, I mean, listen, I don't know <laughs> a lot funny. about you know 
about lineage and things like that. But I've seen that enough times. I can make that generalization with a lot of comfort. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's hilarious. That's that's uh, that's a good point. I'm about as tall as my dad. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I'm gonna. I want to thank you. This is terrific. Um, and I I can't let you go before I find out. And not on the recording because this isn't anybody's business. But I want to know if you broke up with a girlfriend from Washington or if she broke up with you because I have a theory <laughs> that when you failed, she she lost like faith in you and she was like no that's it this kid couldn't get it done and i'm on my way yeah exactly that's what happened no right. no it's interesting uh, just kind of short story on her she uh she's an airline pilot herself now um oh. and we met in the, in the industry and so um no, wait wait too, hold on Patrick, the planes are going by can you oh really i don't you there's no way you can hear them hold on they fighter jets yeah oh nice yeah there's um i think it's uh two squadrons What's the flyover for uh, they're celebrating people who are uh, working in hospitals during the coronavirus COVID-19 thing. And oh, they're, cool. they're on this weird path up and down the, I can't believe I just, my house just rumbled. And I was like, I can That's still awesome. hear them. That's Must amazing. be flying pretty low. Are no. you far from New York? Um, n- I'm not far from New York, but I think they came out of Fort Dix and I'm pretty close to there. Okay. So I think I'm catching them on the return to to the base uh anyway well i'm sorry you were about to share personal details about how your relationship broke up and i don't want to stop you yeah so anyway so uh yeah so she's an, she's an airline pilot herself and uh you know kind of life just took us in different directions as she started traveling and um you know i was here in phoenix and so we kind of just grew apart from each other at that point but um no i wish her nothing but the best she's a good person but yeah it just wasn't for us you know what? it's amazing that you said something real and not stupid like i was getting at and because that was the <laughs> one question i have here on my notes that i've been making while you've been talking um just because you talk quickly and i didn't want to yeah i, I didn't want to run you over i'm not saying you shouldn't have i'm saying i i don't usually make notes usually i just run people over and just say something but i made notes because i didn't want to stop your <laughs> your vibe you had going and that was my one question about one day being an airline pilot is that idea of like how transient you are all the time. Is that something you're prepared for? And how, how have you prepared for it? If, if so, you mean, you mean like for me personally or for like my relationship or what? I guess, yes. Like all of it, okay. like, right. You're constantly going to be in a thing yeah. moving back and forth and you don't end up at home at the end of the day all the time. Yeah. And so I, I know a lot of pilots now that I've been in the industry 10 years and, uh, I can tell you that it is not easy. Uh, there's a reason why there's a lot of pilots out there that are divorced. Um, and so it, I think it is hard on a lot of families to be gone. I mean, you're missing, I know you're, you're close to your kids. I've heard you talk about your son's baseball and, and whatnot. And you've been very active in his, his life with that. Right. Um, and so you do miss these things. You miss birthdays. You miss, uh, especially in the beginning, you know, if you start your career in your twenties, your early twenties and you're, you know, an airline pilot in your early twenties, I think it becomes a little bit easier because seniority in this world of aviation, at least in the commercial aviation part of it, is everything. And so if you start in your early 20s, by the time you're in your 30s, you have pretty good seniority built at your company, mm-hmm. typically. Um, and so you're able to you know, get these days off. You, you, you bid your schedule a month in advance. And so if you have your son's baseball game that's coming up and you see his schedule, um, you, know, you can you know, request these days off. You can get these days off in advance if you're senior enough. But if you're the guy like myself who's just starting out now, um, you're going to be at the bottom of the seniority list. And unfortunately you're going to miss things like birthdays. You're going to miss things like, you know, baseball games and, and, and special events and weddings and whatnot. Um, not to say you don't get time off, but it, it, it's a lot harder when you're at the bottom of the seniority list. And so, yes, it is, it is a challenge, not just for, uh, relationships, but just all the above it, it, it does become really hard. But again, going back to pilots and there's nothing else I'd rather do than, than stare outside and that be my office when I'm looking out, you know, at 30,000 feet, 35,000 feet. That's what I dream of doing. And yeah. I know it sounds kind of selfish to some people, but 
um, you know, at this point in my life, I'm just focused on my career. And then one day, you know, if I meet the right person who uh, wants kids and at that time, if it's the right time to have kids and whatnot, then I'll, then I'll cross that bridge when I do. But um, yeah, it's going to be a lot of sacrificing and it's not for everybody. It is not a life. Anybody that travels in general for a living um, can tell you that it's, it's not easy on any family. Yeah. I have to say, I'm, I mean, it, being sincere, I'm jealous of, of the idea that you know how to fly a plane. I think it, it sounds <laughs> incredibly peaceful. I wish I had the type of mind that was interested in that. But mostly, I guess what I've learned there at the end is that until you gain seniority, uh, yours and Dr. Duvall's relationship is probably going to be the best one you have for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Poor guy. Yeah, we'll keep in touch. I think he's got like five or six years left till he retires. So yeah, we'll, 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 oh, we'll stay buds for oh, a little bit. Oh, that'll be nice. You guys will have plenty of time once he doesn't have anything to do. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. I'll go visit him. We can hang out and uh, talk about the, the good times when I didn't, ha- didn't have a medical and how we got there. All right, man. Listen, I, I genuinely appreciate you coming on and doing this. It was it was great. You were terrific. And uh, I wish you nothing but success. I mean, hopefully, obviously, everything, you know, comes together for us all about, you know, being able to move around more freely and, and you're able to get out there and, and find the job you've been sure. looking for for so long. I'm I'm incredibly happy for you. Thank you. I really appreciate that, Scott. It was nice to speak with you on the phone, not just hear your podcast and actually kind of meet uh, officially. So thanks for making me laugh uh, as well. It was, it was a good conversation. You know, I've done a lot of these interviews. I did one with CNN and I did one with the local Fox station here in Phoenix. And Mine was the best. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, I'm getting at that. I was the most, I, I'm a little bit more experienced now with podcasts, even though I still speak quickly and I've listened back on these podcasts that I've done. I'm like, guys, I don't even let the guy talk. Um, hopefully I wasn't like that with you and I, I, uh, I let you speak a little bit cause I get going. And like you said, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't even know that I'm still talking. But, well, that, that's how um, I go. And I don't know anything about how the FAA made it possible for people with type one diabetes to get this first class medical license. So I figured I'd be better off letting you talk now nah, and listen, <laughs> you're passionate. It comes through and it's much preferable. You can ask anybody who does an interview. It's much preferable that you have too much to say than I'm sitting here pulling thoughts out of you for an hour. So uh, I yeah, thought it was terrific, yeah. but I, I, I do like that we're ending on, I was better than CNN. Is that what you were getting ready to say? Did you want to say that? <laughs> yeah, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. No, it was fun. It was, it was, uh, it was, it was very relaxed, the uh, podcast. So no, I enjoyed it. I, I appreciate that. We'll keep in touch. And obviously I follow you on Instagram and you follow me. So you'll be able to see my uh, career progression. Hopefully in the not too distant future, we could get back at it after this all passes. I'm excited for it. One day there'll be the technology where you and I can record one of these while you're flying a plane. That would be amazing. <laughs> I don't know if the FA would like that. Well, you but, know, the uh, guy, we would... can work it out. I know the guy, exactly. I know a guy, huh? (laughs) All right, man. Have a great day. Thanks so much. Hey, you too. Huge thanks to the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor and to the Omnipod Tubeless Insulin Pump for sponsoring today's show. There are links to all of the sponsors at juiceboxpodcast.com or right there in the links of the show notes in your podcast app. Don't forget, a G6 is just a decision away. Just do it. Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. And at the very least, get yourself a free no obligation demo of the Omnipod. That's just fun to get stuff in the mail. <laughs>